Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If you're like me, you spend lots of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth From A Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 302. Today, I'm joined by my good buddy, Chris Derrick, to discuss chasing elk, muleys, and his whitetail travel plans. We also talk about the new gear Sitka has released that you'll want to check out, so stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. The long-awaited opener is here. Finally got out into the deer woods this past weekend, and it uh, felt good. Temperatures could have been a little kinder. Uh, earlier in the week, 
uh, last week, the early part of the week, man, it was like, I won't say perfect, uh, bow hunting temperatures, but perfect for early season where, you know, high of like 68, 69, something like that, you know, mornings were chilly in the forties. Um, but you know, we'll take what we can, um, take what we can get. I didn't really have a, um, uh, an early season, like kind of opener buck that I was after necessarily to be truth, to, uh, to be truthful. Um, still, you know, nothing, um, that's tripping my trigger here locally that I'm, that I'm aware of. So yesterday, or I shouldn't say yesterday, um, the opener, which was Saturday, uh, from my, from my area, uh, at least I was able to get out and because I didn't have anything really, you know, a buck that I was chasing per se, um, the plan was really just to kind of go out. There was a couple cameras I needed to check. And so I was going to do that, uh, leave a little early and make that happen. It was a little bit of a hike. It was like a, a two mile hike to get to the first, trail camera. And my thinking was, you know, I'll go check that one. And if there's something good there, you know, on camera or in the general area, then awesome. You know, maybe I'll just set up there and hunt, um, just because where this particular camera was, if I was getting a decent buck on there now, you know, it was likely going to be a, um, bed to food kind of play. Uh, if you will, um, not necessarily near agriculture or anything like that, but just like there is, you know, a destination food source that I'm aware of that's not too awfully far away. And there just there wasn't anything on it uh, on it. Truthfully, it was it was a poorly placed camera by me. Um, a lot of false triggers um, because of the where I hung it. And I hadn't been back to check it since I hung it, which was probably like, man, I don't even know, probably end of March, maybe like middle of April roughly. So it'd been there for a while, just a ton of false triggers, nothing really to speak of on, on that camera. I did pull that camera and take just like a little walkabout in the general area was trying my damnedest to try to find a white Oak, um, that might be dropping to kind of, you know, for one, if I found a decent white Oak that looked like I had a bunch of deer sign around it, I was probably just going to sit up and hunt that. But two, just kind of looking for a place to set the camera to maybe just get some real quick, you know, a week, maybe two weeks worth of inventory just to maybe, you know, find a buck that I have didn't, um, uh, that I haven't seen yet, you know, on, on camera that would be worth, uh, worthy of chasing. So did that, didn't really find anything, found an, an area that's kind of like a little pinch between, um, some habitat, you know, some, some brush that kind of, uh, some, I guess some really kind of small trees and some brush. It just kind of made this like little, little pinch into this area. And so I hung that, I moved the camera to that spot. We'll see what that kind of brings. It was just kind of a flyer, uh, again, to see what's, uh, happening in that general area. And then, uh, I, I, I booked it back to the area where I was planning to hunt. It was a little spot that was overlooked, um, that I don't know how I've overlooked it for the past, probably two years that I've hunted this one particular piece. And, uh, I did a camera pool. I don't remember when that was maybe the beginning of June. Cause I set that camera probably sometime in April again, you know, same time I set the previous one and hadn't been back to check it. I went and checked it in June. You know, there was a couple young bucks that were on it, but nothing that was crazy. And just by the sign that I had seen that was in that general area, I kind of felt like it was probably, um, doe central and, uh, probably a place that would be a little kind of funnel, um, uh, area that would attract deer. There's a hard edge that's created, uh, really was why I kind of, I, I recognized it on the map 
when I had, so the way I really kind of found it is I was looking around on some, uh, on this piece that I had been hunting, had scouted in the past. And I was just seeing if there was anything that I ever looked. I had Spartan Forge out and was kind of checking it. And I was looking at the, the map because their maps are super detailed. And I was able to just kind of pick out like this, this little line of, you know, habitat kind of converging that I kind of missed all the other previous times. And so I made a point to go back there and looked and there was a bunch of sign that was in there and it felt like it was probably all like pre-rut and rut sign. There was a bunch of rubs, you know, old historical rubs from years ago, rubs from last year and pretty definitive trails that kind of ran through this area. And it's just like a ton of green briar and stuff like around it. And so it felt to me probably like a really good kind of doe bedding area. And, you know, again, I'm not in an agricultural kind of area, but I'm aware of like a, an area that deer are using as a destination food source, again, relatively close to this spot. And so it kind of told me that, you know, I might be able to play the food, the bed to food game, uh, potentially, you know, in the, in this particular area, if there's a decent buck in there early season. Um, and so that my plan was to get back in there on, on the opener and, uh, check that camera and then the wind set up to hunt that area pretty well. Now, the other thing is too, is I did one camera pool, saw a bunch of does and a bunch of young bucks. So the good news is there's a lot of deer kind of using that area. Um, but I don't have a whole lot of Intel as far as direction of travel. I have that camera set on video modes. I got an idea of it, but I don't know it a hundred percent. And so I was like, I really just need to kind of go in there on the wind that I had, which I think I remember yesterday was a South West wind. I want to say, I think it was Southwest. Regardless, I had the right wind to kind of go in there based on where I had been seeing deer kind of move from um, and then pulled that that truck camera uh, card as well to check that, you know, and then actually checked that on Sunday um, when I had a little bit of time to take a look at it. So needless to say, I set up on the ground because it's so thick in there. Getting into a tree is just it's pointless. You, you have no shooting if you're in the tree. Um, so I was able to kind of tuck back in some brush and set up for the evening and did not see a single deer. Heard some deer kind of moving around me uh, just out of sight. Um, didn't get winded. So that was good. Um, but I think after looking at the trail camera data and there was, there was two decent bucks that were in there that I got on, uh, that I got on camera. And for the most part, it feels like it's setting up to be more of a morning spot. Um, at least based on what I'm seeing from the, from the trail camera data. And I had a kind of sneaking suspicion that that might be the case. Um, not saying that you couldn't hunt it in the evening, but for whatever reason, I just feel like I was getting more consistent movement um, in the morning and more consistent movement directionally in the morning that I could actually plan on it and be able to hunt the wind around the movement that, that I was kind of seeing in the evening. It felt like it was a little bit more sporadic. And so, um, you know, I'd have to have like probably like a North West wind would be the only wind I could probably hunt. Cause the only direction it was in that general direction that that's the one wind that I could probably hunt in the evening and feel like, feel like I'm safe and not going to get busted. Now there could be something on the other side of this kind of like area that, that I may blow out, but just directionally where the deer were coming from and Northwest would be, um, safe all the time. And then a lot of South I could hunt in the morning. I I feel like in, you know, South Southwest is what we get a lot of prevailing around here. So, so that's good. That place at least sets up to be able to hunt, uh, that area on the, on the prevailing wind. So the plan is just to kind of let that area, you know, mature a little bit, if you will. Um, I'll probably dive back in there a couple times this year, mainly just to try to learn it. Um, you know, anytime I don't have a good wind for some of the other spots that are more of my prime areas, um, you know, I'll probably dive back in, dive into that spot and, and just continue to learn it. You know, it felt like the wind was pretty true in there. 
Um, so yeah, I feel like whatever I'm going to get from a wind direction standpoint, you know, that the weatherman's telling you it held pretty true in that spot. It got swirly once in a while, but it just, you know, that, that happens, you know, I've never hunted a spot that the wind stayed true the entire time that, and I think it was like a four mile per hour wind yesterday. So it was a little bit variable. So you were going to get a little bit of, a little bit of switching. And then this morning, since I don't have anything, you know, this would be Sunday morning. I got up and, uh, went out, checked another truck camera that I hadn't checked. That card was completely full. Um, some deer on it, nothing to really get me excited. Nothing to get me excited about. I hadn't checked that one since I think I hung that, hung that one in like February. Um, there wasn't really anything to get me excited about. The one thing I was really kind of looking for was that area last year had a ton of white oaks that had dropped um, in this year, nothing. And so I ended up spending some time in that general area, just kind of looking, uh, excuse me, trying to find a white oak. I mean, I was finding white oaks, but I did not find a single one that was dropping. Cause I was like, I just need to find the one that's dropping. And that's, that's where I'll hunt. Um, but to no avail, wasn't able to, wasn't able to locate one. So I ended up coming out of there and then there was one other camera I needed to hang in this little kind of swampy area. And so I dived, I bombed into that area, hung that camera and I hung a camera there last year. And there's some dates associated with this particular spot where all of a sudden things just kind of turned on for like a three day period. And it's interesting because it's actually different dates than the other dates that I use in some of my other spots. It's, it's maybe like four or five days later. Um, and so I'm kind of waiting for that spot to spot to kind of, uh, pick up, but it's also an area that I can hunt some does and stuff like that. And it's just, and it'll be a ground hunt. There isn't squat for trees that are around there. Cause it's all in this like swampy area that, I mean, the biggest tree might be at the bottom as big around as one of my thighs. Maybe that would be about the biggest, but with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. We're going to continue to give it hell this season. Uh, good luck to everybody who's out there. If you feel the tag this weekend, you lucky son of a gun, you. If you didn't, keep grinding, getting after it. We're just at the beginning. The best is yet to come. But with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. I have my buddy Chris Derrick on. You guys know him. He's been on a couple different times in the past. Chris is the uh, guru of all things whitetail at Sitka Gear. Um, and we talked today. He had a successful elk hunt recently in Montana. Um, he had a, a killer close encounter. Um, he and his son actually with uh, – uh, with a good muley buck out there as well. And then we talk a little bit about his plans. He's going to do some traveling this year. Oh, he travels every year uh, to an extent, but he's got some uh, specific hunts kind of planned for this fall, chasing some whitetails in some different States, chasing some whitetails in Canada. So we talk a little bit, um, t- we talk a little bit about that. And we also, of course, because he is the uh, guru of all things Sitka gear related to whitetail gear. We talk about the new stuff that Sitka has, that had, that had just dropped or that Sitka had just dropped recently. Um, word to the wise, if you're looking for an insulation layer that is super lightweight and kicks ass, I would take a look at the ambient line, specifically the ambient jacket. I have mine and it is like a primo piece of my kit. And I also talk a little bit about my layering system and what I kind of use. I mean, truth be told, I've got a, as a lot of us probably do, we've got a, we got a ton of kit, you know, and, and the reality is, is I probably use, five pieces and those five pieces will take me from, you know, now basically, or just say October 1st through as late as I want to hunt into, into January, into, into, into late season. And so I kind of talk a little bit about my, about my layering system and and what I'm actually using to get me from beginning of the season all the way to the end. And it's it's very kind of limited, um, a very limited setup, um, 
that for me at least is efficient, bulk free, light, and just very streamlined. And I can kind of add and take pieces out as I need to for whatever the conditions are and whatever state I'm in. So with that, I appreciate all you guys joining me. Uh, good luck in your hunting endeavors. Hopefully you guys are shooting straight, filling some tags. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand podcast. And this uh, this almost is becoming like a twice a year type of uh, type of episode. And it's always one of my favorite to do. I have my buddy on Mr. Chris Derrick of Sitka Gear. He is the Whitetail product guru. And uh, when I'm talking to him, uh, the reason I get excited is because I'm a little bit of a gear nerd. So that usually means there's new gear and I've been able to play with some new things and I always kind of geek out and get ready to talk to Chris about all the new stuff they have going on. But uh, before we do that, how's it going, man? How you been? Uh, doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet, man. I know we're kind of making a habit out of this now, man. It's uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I get some cool things to kind of look at, play with, and then I get all excited and I get to talk to you and get like all the deets on what went into all this stuff. And like, you know, I kind of get a chance to play around with it. So I kind of have an idea how I would use it. And then I get the, uh, the professional version of how it was intended to be used. <laughs> maybe one way, maybe one way to say it, but, uh, how's your, uh, how's your summer been, man? What's, uh, what's new in your world? Oh, uh, uh, not much. I pretty much do the, the same thing as, uh, working and getting ready for hunting season. So, and then just, uh, you know, managing the little bit of property that we have here, which is a never ending task. So yeah, that's, uh, I'm sure anybody that owns property can relate to that. Right. So I know the last time we talked, you, if I'm not mistaken, got rid of llamas, right? So the llamas were gone. Uh, they were, yeah, definitely had, uh, we had alpacas. Alpacas, a little that's bit right. Different. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just run a, a couple of, uh, uh, mini Dexter beef cattle, um, and then, you know, and then some horses that we keep on our property. So that's all the animals that we essentially have now other than a few chickens. So. Right. Yeah. And, uh, horses are a lot of work, man. My daughter takes uh equestrian lessons that's the she's super into it she absolutely loves horses and she's there as often as she can go and she volunteers at the barn to go in and just like clean stalls and whatever just because she likes to be around the animals and do those i mean my grandfather had horses too and those are just a ton of work i would love to have a horse uh you know because i like to ride too but i'm just when i think about it logistically i'm like man all the care that has to go into them and then you have to ride them every day don't you uh, you don't need to ride them every day. I mean, we've got, we've got some that are, you know, that we also board some horses here. So, okay. uh, you know, some are, some are more, um, uh, I guess senior horses, so they don't get ridden quite as much. And then we've got others that get, you know, multiple times a week. But yeah, one of the best things for horses that I ever heard is they, they definitely eat money and poop works. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that is a, that is a great saying. I've heard I, my grandfather used to say that too. Uh, are, are you using them at all to do any like backcountry hunting? Cause I'll tell you what, like when I was in Idaho, some of that terrain was just gnarly as far as how steep it was. And my buddy and I were just kind of kicking around it at, at camp the one night. I was like, man, I would love to do a backcountry hunt on horseback just to make some of the traversing you know, some of this terrain just a little bit easier. So it, I mean, do you do that with any of your horses or is that something you consider doing? No, we don't really have uh pack horses. It's okay. something I would consider. Uh, but actually on the subject of Blamas, I actually, I did call at one point and I was started looking at those, those pack llamas because they certainly did seem like they were pretty nice that you could uh, take them back and didn't have to carry in much, uh, 
food or hay, they, they pretty much ate their way across. So that always seemed interesting. Um, because yeah, bringing in pack horses is, is also a lot of work in itself. So, right. And that's interesting. So llamas aren't as finicky when it comes to what they eat. They'll just kind of eat, eat whatever. Is that, I, I, I can't say that I'm an expert, but I, I did watch a couple of Newberg ex- episodes on it and it, <laughs> it, it, it intrigued me. So. Right. Yeah. I think I remember seeing, I don't know if I saw the episode or if it was just when he was talking about it on a podcast, I remember him, him talking about, it, cause he had a buddy. If I'm remembering the story correctly, that you like to use llamas and he was skeptical of it where he was like, I don't know about this. And then I think the, and the moral of the story was, is like, now he just would prefer to hunt with llamas all the time. If, if I'm remembering correctly. That, that sounds about right. It sounds like most whitetail hunters in saddle hunting. For mobile hunting so. <laughs> I know. Right. It's like, I don't know about this fan angled, this fang dangled thing here. You got to get up into a tree and hang from a diaper. I don't know if it'll work. And then they try it and they're like, Oh man, I don't know why I haven't done this sooner. Yeah. Yes. So, but, uh, how's, uh, have you gotten out to do any, any elk hunting this year? It's, uh, well, let me ask you this, man. When I was out there out West, it was, there were like no fires anywhere. And then when I left, there were a bunch of fires. So what's the fire situation out there right now? Uh, there's quite a bit. It looks like pretty much all of, you know, upper Idaho and Western Monday <laughs> looks like one big fire when you look at it on the fire maps. But uh, we did get a little rain for the first time in a long time last night. But it's been a pretty mild fire season. We really haven't had much smoke to speak of until maybe the last two weeks. <laughs> and, and it just got caught up to us. So. Yeah. yeah, we were supposed to do this Monday, but you know, our, yeah. um, you know, we, you know, I had to change some things cause definitely, uh, smoke was, uh, canceling a lot with, uh, my kids practices and stuff here right. in uh, Montana. So, yeah, the, uh, when I was in Idaho, there was, like I said, there were no fires when I got there. And when I, when I got there, my buddy was like, I can't believe it. You know, he, cause he was just monitoring it the whole time up until I got there. Cause he was just worried that I was going to get there and we were going to have to deal with, you know, change course and go somewhere else other than where we were planning to go because of fires or whatever. And, uh, I don't remember what day it was. I remember, well, the day we were kind of driving into to where we were going to park the truck at the trailhead to, to hike in to camp. I smelled smoke as we were driving by and I was like, oh, do I smell smoke? And I saw like this little plume over there. And, and, and then sure enough, you know, just once we got on the high peak of where we were camping, we could see down there was like a small plume. And then there was like a, a copter helicopter coming over, dropping water on it or whatever. And that one kind of kind of extinguished pretty quickly. And then maybe two or three days later. So this would be about that two week time frame you're kind of talking about. Um, there was just we were hunting and we actually had some elk that were behind us. I could hear them in the in the in the timber behind us. And all of a sudden the storm rolled in. And you could just hear the wind coming. And all of a sudden the wind switched and we had to get out of there because now the wind was wrong for us. But as we were walking out, just like a crazy lightning storm started happening, just like, you know, summer heat lightning. And we got like a couple sprinkles of rain, but just like crazy lightning cracking. And then literally when we got back to service and we could actually kind of look on the map and see what was going on the next day, it went from no fires to where there was like a hundred fires all around us. Basically, I think just from like the lightning strikes and so forth from the from the lightning storm and the, from the the rainstorm that kind of rolled through. So that was probably about the same time frame where you guys kind of got it too, because it was all that northern Idaho area. Yeah, it uh, it started happening around uh, opening weekend, which is September fourth. So yeah. yeah, we were on our way back from from hunting for mule deer in eastern Montana and got to about Helena, and it it, it was pretty much pure smoke from there on out. So right, how was uh, how was your mule deer hunt? 
Uh, we, uh, we didn't, uh, close the deal on one, but it was my, my 14 year old son's first, um, archery hunts. Oh, uh, nice. so yeah, he's now progressed into that. And, uh, it, it was, it was great. We, we had, you know, the area we're opening or hunting is very, very open, kind of like badlands mm-hmm. looking, uh, areas. If, if any of you know what that looks like. And so you're, you're essentially looking for mule deer with spotting scopes. And then, uh, you, you're waiting till mid morning and waiting for them to go to bed on, on typically on a, a slope that, that winds up in the shade for the afternoon. And then they'll, they'll move a little bit into the shade. So we, we had seen, you know, some bucks, which were 140 to 150 class bucks, which were, you know, it's a really good mule deer yeah. for your first buck. Um, and so we put them to bed and, and gone over the top. He and I came back down, pulled off our boots, started stalking down on these two mule deer that were bedded down and got between, you know, we got 20 yards was one and then 40 yards was the other. Hmm. And when they, I said, that's as far as we can go because the, the angle we were looking at for them, we'd gone any future, any further, we wouldn't been able to make up any elevation to, mm-hmm. to get a better angle on them so we just sat there and we'd been sitting there for about 15 minutes and uh, my buddy was up above us looking down uh and the wind switched and his scent came down and they stood up but they didn't know we were there and mm-hmm. the the one that he wanted to shoot uh basically stepped out and had sagebrush crossing covering his vitals and Cole was at full draw at 25 yards, 30 yards. Um, but just, and then they just blew out of there before he could actually get a shot, but very exciting hunt. Yeah. Yeah. uh, For For sure, man. So I got to ask like, who was, uh, who was more nervous? You or uh, him or dad? Uh, I think he was was definitely, uh, uh, I mean, uh, he was shaking as soon as it ended. (laughs) So, uh, but it's always fun to watch a, you know, uh, a, a kid go through that last year, you know, he had an experience where, and we've all done this if you've ever hunted in a blind, but he went to full draw on a deer. That was his first time. And he shot the front of the blind, um, <laughs> not getting over the top. So right. and I've done that myself. So, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you do, if you do these things long enough, man, you make all the mistakes, you know? So yes. it's the good news is you can tell him he's got that one out of the way. Now put that one in the book and uh, it's, it'll be a memory and a story. That's awesome, man. Um, you guys have plans to get back out is, uh, are you guys going to head back to that same, same area or what's the, what's the plan for that? Uh, yeah, we'll definitely go. And then I tagged out on my uh, elk this past weekend. So oh, nice. as soon as we get done with uh, the podcast, I'll be going just to um, break up the quarters and, and get them packaged and vacuum sealed. So. Oh, nice, man. So t- t- give me that story. Where was, uh, what area were you, I'm, I'm assuming Montana and how'd that all, how'd that all shake out? Yeah, it was uh, just uh, hunting with um, some friends and uh and some very, very dark timber. Um, and for us, what we were in, it's, it's super thick. I mean, if you can, if you can get, uh, shots in the, you know, plus 50 yard range, you know, that, that would be something. So, um, a couple of, uh, bulls had, uh, come down the hill. These were all satellite bulls, but, uh, I, uh, they, they all rolled out in front of me and I wound up with, um, you know, about a 35 yard shot and, and it was a little bit back from where I wanted based off the shot. So we backed out 
because um, I've definitely lost a bull by going in too early thinking I had a better shot and, um, uh, you know, let him uh, sit overnight, came back the next morning, which turned out to be the right move. Uh, he had he only went 100 to 150 yards. Um, and then so we bro- broke him down the next morning. So that's that's what we that's, you know, trying. I, I've definitely figured if time is the way you want to to give it before uh, moving in on him. Right. So is this pretty typical for you as far as like early season success for, oh, I shouldn't say early season. Well, I guess you guys opened the force, so it would be still considered, I guess, early season for you guys. Is that pretty typical for you? I mean, do you usually find and get into elk pretty, pretty quickly? Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that uh, I would say I'm, I'm not uh, an elk hunting expert. I am uh, an Eastern guy that moved West, but right. I've definitely started to figure it out over the couple of years and, and I typically know where uh, to go, but it just takes time. Um, yeah. and the success rate is low. And then, you know, once you get things figured out, uh, it becomes a little bit easier. But, right. uh, what was the thing that you had to, that you feel like that you needed to figure out or once you started to better understand it, like you started to have like more consistent encounters or you started to kind of better understand where they wanted to be and why they wanted to be in those areas? Uh, for, for me, it was, it, it, you're exactly right. It's just understanding where they are that time of year. Cause mm-hmm. if I go to where I'm hunting now, uh, within three to four weeks from now, there won't be a single, um, you know, elk in the area. Uh, there could be a, you know, one occasionally moving through, mm-hmm. um, but they're, they're pretty much gone. Um, so, you know, right now they're, they're really focused in on, in the area I'm hunting and, and these Northern slopes, dark timber, uh, going down into private, hmm. uh, and then coming back up into public and sitting in the dark timber for the day. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's, uh, typically where I found them sitting on the saddles and, and, uh, and those types of things. But, um, uh, I'm sure you can have somebody that'll come on. That's way more versed in elk hunting than I am. Right. I may a white tail guy that has learned elk hunt. Right. Right. I'm kind of in the same boat only, you know, I get, it's, I get a couple of days a, a year to maybe, to maybe try it. I'm curious, were they, were they doing some talking for you at least? Cause I know whenever I was out, Idaho opens a little, a little earlier, you know, I think the season opened on like the, I want to say the 29th of August. And I was there for the, for the opener and the whole week that I was there, I did not hear one single, one single bugle the, the entire time, which I don't think is really out of the, out of the norm because that's a pretty early opener, I guess. But did you hear any, any, any talking to that, you know, whenever you were out? Oh yeah. They yeah. were definitely screaming for us. So nice. it, it, it was, it was everything you'd be wanting um, for. It's hard to tell what sometimes are other hunters. Um, but uh, I, I know I did have a hunter to my left. I have no doubt right? <laughs> based off the chuckle I heard uh, that was not an elk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. We, uh, yeah, I mean, the last time I was in Montana to, to hunt elk, it was a blast, and I, we were—I was out. Um, I want to say right about now was when I was out. I want to say I got there around like the ninth or tenth, and I stayed for two weeks. And so I heard a lot of bugling on um, on that trip. But this last trip to Idaho, you know, if I had to do it over again, I'd probably have, probably have waited maybe two weeks or maybe not because of all the fires. Who knows? It might have been might have been worse. But um, you know, I guess the thing I found that was just really hard was that you know, Northern Idaho was way, way thicker than where I had elk hunted in, um, South, uh, Western Montana previously. And so there was really no glassing, you know, opportunity to speak of, um, and they weren't talking at all. And so 
it was a lot of just, you know, almost like you would still hunt whitetails. You know, my buddy Wilson who lives there did a good job of kind of locating some herds, like where they wanted to spend time and where they wanted to bed. And so we basically just kind of crept around their bedding areas. And so, you know, for not knowing a whole lot, we ended up, you know, hearing elk pretty much when I say hearing elk, we could hear them in the timber behind us, but you know, that timber is so thick, there might be 40 yards away and you can't see them. And, um, and so we were always close enough to hear them moving, hear them kicking rocks, hear them walking. And we had an encounter once, um, where we had elk at five yards where they were just like on top of us. And it was like, I don't even know how many of them it was. It was like seven, eight of them. I don't know. It was somewhere between seven and 10 elk, you know, within that, within that range. And that was the, that was on the first day too. So other than that, it's like, we didn't see another elk at, you know, close range or at shootable range the rest of the trip. Yeah. Well, it definitely can go that way, but it's still a fun experience. I'm imagining. For oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, I, you know, being an Eastern guy, you can appreciate this since, you know, you're originally an Eastern guy, just getting to go West and seeing everything that it has to offer, just like landscape and the, the, how big everything is. And just, you know, I just always kind of appreciate feeling small. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I, when I get there, just like the grandiose nature of everything around me and really kind of puts in perspective of like my place <laughs> in the ecosystem, so to speak, which is always uh, a nice thing for the, for the ego check and a little bit of humility. So, and a little bit of humility in terms of not, you know, coming home with a tag too. So we'll try harder next time. But, uh, <laughs> what's, uh, what's your whitetail plans for this year, man? You got have any plans to come back, come back East or you got to be planning to stay out West to do most of your whitetail hunting this year? Um, I'm going to be hunting with a, a buddy in Missouri. Uh, I'll take a trip up to Canada and then, um, I usually find a way to get back to like the Southeast where I'm originally from and hunt Georgia, or Alabama or South Carolina, nice. one of those three, but th- those, I, I won't have much more time to go than, uh, any of those, those places. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, Missouri and, and really looking forward to, uh, to, to Canada this year. So. Nice. Have you been to Canada before to hunt whitetails? Oh, I have. You yes, have? Multiple times. I usually nice. try uh, and get up there it, every other year or so if I can uh, to be able to hunt. Uh, it's a great place, you know, just to get in and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and be able to hunt. And, and it's, you know, it's it's uh, it's not too far away from me here in Montana. So. Right. Right. Is it now what time of year are you headed to Canada? Uh, I'll typically go in November, um, you know, early to late November is, is when we typically go to Canada. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's where I, I, um, always like to go and it's, it's, it's quiet and cold and it gets cold early. So yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful area. Yeah. I was just going to say, what's the temps going to be around that time of year? That's going to be, they start to get pretty, uh, pretty frigid at <laughs> that time of year I'm expecting. Right. Well, I, I've faced, uh, in November, anything from negative 30 to, you know, above freezing. So, uh, there's, there's a very wide range of about 60 degrees, uh, that you can <laughs> So you're basically uh, taking every piece of gear you own. <laughs> I definitely have a good layering system from, you know, from light base layers all the way to, uh, you know, uh, a fanatic right. and then some. So. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, That's like, hey, if you're not happy with the weather, when you wake up, just wait a couple hours, it'll change, right? It's like, yeah. it's kind of that that plan. Um, what's uh, What time frame are you headed to Missouri? I like, Missouri is a place I've been to once and absolutely loved it. And I keep trying to get back there. And every year, you know, like this year, I, I was going to go back this year. Um, 
because I have a great spot that I love that I that I kind of stumbled onto the last time I was there and had some encounters with some killer deer. Um, but I put in for a Kansas tag again this year and I didn't have any points. I just did it on a whim because last year I had a couple really close encounters and just couldn't quite seal the deal. I had multiple bucks at, you know, within bow range and one that I was at full draw on. And so I was like, you know what, if I can draw a Kansas tag, I want to go back and try to redeem myself. I didn't think I was going to draw because I had no points. I ended up put, you know, trying to get it and I got the unit that I wanted and ended up drawing the tag. So if I didn't get it, I was going to go back to Missouri. So, you know, a woe is me. I got to go to Kansas this year, but I'm looking, I'm looking for an opportunity at some point soon to get back to Missouri. So what time you, uh, what time of year are you headed there? The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I'll be going uh, late October. I have a, a friend, uh, Mike Herbs, that runs a guide operation, and he was kind enough to invite me to come up there, and uh, so I'll be able to go with with him. But he, yeah, he he runs he runs a good program out of there, and uh, um, you know, and I'm looking forward. I've not not hunted his area before, so this is going to be uh, uh, interesting to go in and and see exactly. Um, you know what what's in there yeah see what's happening what uh what part of what part of missouri is that uh is that happening in uh he is over he's kind of in the central part of missouri but he's not that far from iowa okay so that's that's one of the best things about uh that area i think you get some of the pros of of iowa but with a little bit uh, easier to get uh, tag. Uh, from a tag <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly that's that was kind of why when i went to missouri um, it was actually like a tethered thing that we were doing and they were filming some stuff and they were basically like, Hey, pick a state you want to go to. And, you know, we just want to send a camera guy with you. And I was like, well, let's go to Missouri. It's borders, Iowa, you know, let's, and we'll see what happens. And so I did stick around some of the public pieces that were close to Iowa. Um, and you know, as you would expect, there was a fair amount of pressure on, on those pieces. You can still find some like little nooks and crannies, but then I ended up happening onto a little spot that, uh, one of the guys, well, actually the camera guy that was with me, his, he's from Missouri, but he's from like Southern Missouri, but his cousin happened to live, you know, we'll just say like central Missouri ish. And, um, and we were leaving the second piece of public that we had hunted and, and uh, we were looking on the map, trying to find another place to go. And, uh, it, he was like, well, let me call my cousin and see if he's got any, any tips on places that might be like overlooked or whatever. And so he called him and he gave us a, a tip that basically just like, a it's a piece of public that you, that you wouldn't know about, uh, that you really wouldn't know about and that only really the locals know about it. And so I was like, that's sounds perfect. <laughs> and he was like, they pull big deer out of it every year. And so we went and, uh, it was with my buddy, Chad. And we had within 36 hours, cause you know, we had to, he, Chad and I were going back or going to Ohio at the, at the end of that trip, you know, whether we tagged out or not. And we were at that piece in Missouri for, I want to say a total of 36 hours. He saw 160 inch deer within the first 30 minutes. He missed 130 inch deer, had another encounter with that same 130 inch deer the following morning. I saw 150 inch deer within like the first hour of being in the woods. And then I ended up hitting a, a decent buck on the second, on the next morning. 
and then never, never being able to find it. And that was all within like 36 hours of being there. Well, that sounds like you found a, a great spot. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you know where that's at off. Like once we're done recording, we won't broadcast that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one to keep secret right, right there. Right, exactly. Well, cool, man. Well, speaking of getting geared up for the season, dude, um, I know you guys have been busy. Uh, Sitka has been busy launching a bunch of new, a bunch of new stuff this, uh, this past summer. And I think the last kind of, I shouldn't say the last articles, but the most recent articles I think actually dropped as we're kind of speaking this, uh, this week. And so I just wanted to get you on and talk about what's new for fall. So if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give the rundown, like at the high level, what's new for fall. And then I have some of the garments here that I just want to kind of look at and give us a chance to kind of talk about each kind of, uh, each line and, and what's kind of changed or, or what is new with the line specifically. Sound good? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So give me the rundown. So what was new for the, for the hunter this year? Cause I know you guys have a lot of lifestyle stuff that you guys do as well, but for the hunter specifically, what is new and intriguing that came out this fall for that's available for folks now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, we talked a little bit about last time, but I always like that since we're in early season whitetail right now, everybody's dealing with seed ticks yeah. uh, and those types of things is the Equinox guard. So whether or not you're looking for something in elevator or subalpine, uh, you know, that, that is a system that, you know, I, at the very least suggest people, uh, take a look at if you're hunting in a high tick concentration area, uh, using, utilizing the pant. Um, and so, you know, I've not had a tick in many, many years. So that one's always a good one just for starting out early season. I know we talked about that last time, but, yeah. uh, definitely one that I, I encourage people to look at. Yeah. And I usually season. get, I usually get ticks every turkey season. I got no ticks this year using that. And it's, I'm glad you actually brought that up because I wanted to make a point to mention it because my season actually starts this weekend. Um, we have an early opener here and it's going to be warm. And so that's actually my go-to for early season for that specific, for that specific reason. I hunt a lot of low lying areas with water swamps, mosquitoes, things like that, along with, along with ticks. And so that is actually, you know, it, it pulls double duty for me. It doubles as like my Turkey kit for the same reason. And then also my early, early season whitetail kit as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, after, uh, uh, so many people, I call it the buddy effect, have the same story. Yeah. Well, I didn't get any, but yeah, so-and-so did and <laughs> he didn't. And so now he's going to get it. Right. So, exactly. Um, so that, that's a, that's a great piece. Um, and then, uh, you know, earlier this summer, um, you know, uh, the jet stream is a, um, that we relaunched that family. Uh, so that, the Jetstream jacket uh, is and vest is now available in Elevated 2. So if you're looking for something, a lot of people are familiar with the Stratus family. Mm -hmm. of uh, uh, So that's that's your brush fleece, uh, windstopper, and then a micro fleece backer. So uh, a very versatile piece. If you're looking for something that uh, maybe has a smooth face, uh, if you're in maybe a high burr pickup area, uh, the jet stream jacket. So if you're not, you know, super particular about having a harness port in the back or anything along those lines, uh, the, um, the jet stream jackets, uh, similar to your Stratus and form, uh, new, uh, quieter textile than, than the old jet stream, uh, and, you know, uh, but a similar product form, uh, that to, to that of the Stratus. Right. Um, yeah. And I have the, I have the jet stream jacket here in my hand now. And that was the one thing that I kind of noticed about it. Cause you know, I do hunt in a lot of areas where I pick up 
burrs. I wear I wear the the crap out of my Stratus stuff. Um, but this is definitely going to come in handy for that. And the other thing is too that I really actually liked this because actually it was in my kit when I went to Idaho just as uh you know for a morning wear piece when it might be a little chilly in the morning is that a lot of times you know, you put something on, like you need something in the morning, or maybe you need a, uh, you know, the ability to kind of cool off or vent some heat. And a lot of times you get these pieces of kit, you know, outside of maybe, um, outside of maybe rain gear that don't really have vents and stuff. And that was the one thing I really kind of liked about this jacket was that it actually has like the armpit vents and stuff like that built into it. Like you would expect from a rain piece that you don't often get when you get like a full kind of, you know, a full jacket, so to speak. So I thought that that was really kind of slick and smart, especially for the mobile hunter who's going to be kind of on the go and on the move. I think that would really come uh, come in handy. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a good way to look at it. And a lot of people ask me, Stratus or Jetstream, and and I would say it depends on your situation. So if you're somebody that wants like ultra quiet, like micro fleece face, um, and uh, the ability to run a harness out of the back of the jacket with a constant connect safety harness board. The Stratus is probably where you're going to want to go. Uh, like you said, if you're maybe in a, a super high burr pickup area um, and, you know, you're looking for a smooth face textile, but in a similar format, both really versatile pieces, um, the Jetstream might be the right fit for you. So those those are those are ones just to take a look at and, and figure out uh, which which of those two pieces is right for you. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know I've seen the, I've seen the vest and I imagine it's made similarly to this, just not obviously with, with sleeves. And this to me is like that perfect, like this jacket to me, if you have the right layer, like you could get through rut in my opinion, probably with, with this jacket, if you, if you wanted to, and the vest to me would be like a great kind of mid season and then even a layer as you get into the later part of the season, if you wanted to go to the, the, the vest route. And I'm always a fan of kind of light vests to use as like my main outer layer during a large part of the season and then just layer under it. And then it becomes a, an under layer whenever it gets really cold. So yeah, the jet stream, I think kind of fits a lot of functions the, between the vest and the jacket for sure. Yeah. And the Stratus, I, I normally tell, depending on your cold nature, the Stratus and jet stream, uh, like I said, like you're, you're perfectly right. Like unlayered, definitely down in the forties, um, mm-hmm. with, with, uh, with some wind and those types of things, you know, just those jackets over, a, you know, um, like a fanatic hoodie or, mm-hmm. or whatever base layer set you had up. And then I can, when I layer appropriately with lofted insulation, uh, I can get down in when the mornings are starting out in the upper teens and then maybe warming up into the twenties or low thirties. Uh, you know, the, those are, those are, uh, garments if layered appropriately can get you into those conditions. So yeah. either way, Stratus or Jetstream, but those layered, you know, you can figure you should be able to get down into the twenties or teens, depending on your cold nature for the mornings. And then, you know, where they're not, not going to, um, not going to be getting, you know, above 40 or 50 in the day, right. that range, you'll be, you'll be great with those uh, right. properly layered. Yeah. And the, what I love about them too, is like the way the layering kind of works is that you still stay, you know, bulk free, uh, for the most part, you know, where it doesn't, you don't, you don't feel like the stay puff marshmallow man, you know, so it's not like you're putting 30 layers on, you're putting some very kind of strategic and specific layers on to kind of accomplish that, which is what I kind of love about the systems you guys have. Um, cool. So let's talk about, so the other thing that came out, I'm going to save my, my favorite for last, um, 
I want to talk about the Traverse next, I think. The, tra- the Traverse. So what was new in the Traverse? I have a I have a hoodie here. So is is uh it, what else was in the line that came out this uh, past fall? Yeah, so the Traverse uh, Traverse, you know, a lot of people maybe if you're a whitetail hunter maybe you remember the old Equinox hoodie, not the Equinox guard. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe remember the Traverse cold weather hoodie or if you're a waterfowl hunter you might have known the Gradient. Mm-hmm. Um and all of those would be like a smooth face textile uh that's bonded to like a high loft Berber high gauge Berber knit backer. Um, so they're, they're non windstopper, but you know, fairly warm pieces. Um, and so we essentially, it was a little bit confusing sometimes for people, you know, how broad the line is. Mm-hmm. So that, that traverse family gives you basically a non windstopper, uh, solution that's, you know, pretty warm, uh, with, a with a smooth face textile and that, that high gauge Berber, um, backer. And, um, and so they've all merged into one family. And that's available on a hoodie, a jacket, a bib. And then there's, you know, the pants not made of the same material, but it's uh, the pant. There's a glove, a hat mm-hmm. and a beanie that all go along with those. And then several women's styles as well of, of the hoodie uh, a, as well. Um, so those, those are, those are uh, some ways to be able to get, uh, you know, a great uh, system, either adding on to your existing kit if you need a piece or two. Or if you're looking just to get into Sitka, uh, you know, the Traverse is a great place to start. Right. Yeah, I have the, I'm holding the hoodie here in my, in my hand. And <clears throat> for this piece specifically, you know, I looked at it and went like, I mean, it's the, the warmth of this thing is pretty, pretty ridiculous for as, for as light as it is, uh, to be, to be quite honest. And the way I would kind of describe it to people that are listening is like, if you have your favorite zip up hoodie on the planet that you've been wearing for forever but it's paper thin and it's cold as all get out <laughs> whenever you wear it. This is that thing, <laughs> but warm <laughs> is how I kind of, is how I kind of looked at it. Cause I'm always wearing like a zip up hoodie, you know, whether I'm like outside doing work or whatever the case is, but it's never, it's never warm enough. I always have to layer and this thing kind of solves that. And so for me, I was like, man, this is that perfect kind of piece where if I don't really want to put anything else on and I just want to throw like one thing on over top of like a fanatic hoodie, I could literally get away with this and probably get down to the forties and just rock this thing. If I really wanted to, um, I feel like it's that warm. I mean, is that a fair assessment of it? It is. And then, you know, like we mentioned before is like, what is it? It's essentially an outerwear piece, but it can be worn as a mid layer if you need it to be. Yep. So you'll see some thumb, thumb loop kind of design that's built into the cuff. That's so that you could, uh, take it and layer it under, like we were talking about Stratus or Jetstream, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as, as those types of pieces. Um, and then, uh, you know, or you could add that vest you were talking about, like a mm-hmm. Stratus or Jetstream vest on top yep. to be able to add one stopper to it. So you basically can, can build it into your system. And I always tell people, this is one of the things is look at what you already have in your kit. You probably don't need more than two hoods. Right. So the jet screen, so the traverse is available in jacket and a hoodie. Like if you, if you already have enough hoods, like I always say, I need another hood. Like I need a hole in the head. <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't need, uh, you know, a whole lot. So depending out, figure out how you want to do your hood system and figure out whether or not a jacket or a hood, but I would say the max you want is a lightweight hood within maybe an outerwear hood piece. And that's it. Don't, don't buy a bunch of kits. 
and then have like three hoods deep. Right. Uh, you're probably going to have, <laughs> you're not going to have an ideal experience. Right. Right. You're going to have like a neck roll looking like a middle linebacker from the seventies. You know what I mean? Like yeah. That that's, that's awesome. The one thing that I actually got really excited about this, uh, to be, to be quite honest, was that when I when I got it initially, my mind, I mean, I initially was like, man, this would fit great, you know, whether I'm wearing a vest over top of it or whatever from a layering perspective. But a lot of times my kit, you know, because I wear a lot of I wear a lot of Stratus stuff. And like you were mentioned, you know, it's like the the front of it, it will pick up some burrs and, and, and stuff like that. And so, you know, when I'm scouting and stuff like that in the postseason, you know, a lot of times I have to go to like, you know, whatever hoodie I have laying around my house, you know, that that I'm willing to just to kind of truck through the the, the briars and stuff with when I picked this up, I was like, this not only is going to work like during hunting season. Cause I got a solid piece. I have a, I have a black piece, um, which I always kind of like, I, I dig solids. And, uh, and so I immediately was like, man, this is going to be my go-to like winter hoodie that I will wear to do camera checking, do any type of postseason scouting. Cause it's just heavy enough on those cold days in the winter that I can throw this on with like a, you know, a, a thermal base layer underneath of it or a good base layer underneath of it and be good to go. Or if it's just slightly warmer, I can throw a t-shirt on or like a thin t-shirt, long sleeve shirt on underneath of this thing and be able to go out and scout and, and be able to rock and roll. I'm not going to pick up a ton of burrs and I'm going to be, I'm not going to be too hot. And so to me, this was like, I saw it and I was like, man, this is a workhorse piece. Like I can actually get a lot of use, uh, a use out of this piece outside of the season. So I was stoked on that. Yeah, it's surprisingly durable. I've been throwing hay in the mornings with that on for two years, and my jacket still looks great. So um, it's it's uh, it's pretty durable for uh, for what it is. And then all the textiles we've moved have moved all into recycled textiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll notice, like on some of the zipper constructions, we got rid of some of the overlay films, and that's really so that if you were to ever break a zipper it's a lot easier to repair. So those are also things we're trying to do because uh, we don't want this stuff going in the landfill. Where we want is be able to take it in, uh, be able to get it repaired because there's no no reason you should ever have to throw away a jacket because the zipper broke, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Good. And that's a good point too. And that's the, that's the argument I always kind of make, you know, whenever you buy good gear, you know, and, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's going to last a long time. People will ask me about, you know, the kit that I have now. And I'm like, man, I'm still wearing the same Stratus pants. This will be the, the sixth season of these Stratus pants. I don't baby my stuff. It's like, I beat it up. You know, I was like, and once they're washed, they look like they're new. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like, you know, if you get good stuff and you, and you, and you semi take care of it, you're going to have it for a long time. So absolutely. Awesome. So my next favorite, my, well, my favorite piece, is there anything else I wanted to, I want to go to the ambient line next. Cause this was the line that I was like, I was just, I'm a, I'm a sucker for like Primaloft. So like I get, I nerd out on this and I, 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 I kind of geek out on, I was actually talking to my buddy from tethered. He's equally as nerdy about puffies as I am. So we literally geeked out on it the one day, um, together. So before I jump into this, is there anything else aside from the ambient line that we that we need to cover? I know there's a mountain optics harness that's coming out uh, in a new pattern as well, right? Yeah, we did bring the optics harness out. You can now get it in elevated too. So if you're looking for a bino harness case um, in that pattern, that's now available. But uh, yeah, I, I know I know your same excitement on this next ambient launch. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah. If you want, we can go in. If you're familiar with the Celsius MIDI, uh, this yep. is 
a, a substantial upgrade to that um, product. Yeah. So, yeah, let's just jump into it. So I'll, I'll say this. So I had some buddies that reached out to me and they were just, you know, um, we were talking kit and, you know, they're adding to their kit and they're like, hey, you know, is there anything from Sitka that, you know, I'm going to buy like one piece or whatever, or I think they needed a, uh, you know, they were asking me what, what my layering system was. And I went through what, how I layered my top, you know, and I kind of gave them the, you know, the, the, the approach that I take and, you know, and they asked, well, and they were missing kind of like the, the puffy piece, right? Like, the, cause I use a puffy piece under, under my, uh, stratus vest. That's kind of what I rock all year round with one kit. And I'm usually good. I can just add in one to th- one to three pieces, depending on the top, depending on the temperature. And so, and that'll get me through pretty much the entire season. And so whenever he asked me, I was like, dude, I was like, I'm going I'm to tell you, I was like, if, if I were going to get anything for layering for this year, I was like, I would get the, the ambient jacket. You will not be disappointed. I was like, I think this, I, I might, I'm not going to lie, man. I might've slept with it one night whenever, whenever I got it, <laughs> I'm not, not going to lie, but without, with, without further ado, uh, give people a rundown on what the ambient, uh, line is and what makes it so freaking rad and, 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 and different. And then I'll, I'll wax poetic about why I'm so stoked about it. Yeah, so uh, this is your puffy replacement. Um, it's going to be exceptionally quiet, um, and it's really an active insulation that breathes a lot when you're moving, uh, but then does a great job of keeping you warm. It's deceivingly warm when you when you wear it. Um, so the advantage of this type of insulation is normally a puffy jacket. You've got your face fabric, right? Mm-hmm. Then you've got your lofted insulation, and then you've got a liner textile. So you've got three layers of textiles, two on the outside to contain your insulation. What's different about the style of insulation that we're using here, um, this this premium off insulation, is it's both the insulation and the liner in one. Um, so you're not going to actually see a drop liner inside of the garment. You're going to see this really open open looking like kind of like a uh, like a fleece design that you can sort of see through but can't really see through um that's the best way i would think to describe it for people that have not seen it and um so the advantage of that is it breathes really well when you're moving and then when you sit there it actually provides a deceivingly amount so this is the one piece that i like we were talking about i will wear it earlier in the season for when just the the temperatures are cooling it's going to stay in my pack for that later season it's going to go under my Stratus jacket, for example, mm-hmm. as my my puffy piece add insulation, and that's how I'm getting down into the team. So I've got a good base layer, uh, you know, and then I've got that puffy piece, and then I've got my windstopper on my outer shell, and those pieces all together allow me to really create a super versatile season or mm-hmm. system that allows me to get through the season in most places. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say into the twenties. Uh, maybe teens, depending on how cold changes are, all the way up into you know warm temps. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what? Uh, so I have the jacket. What all does the ambient line consist of? So there's the jacket. I think there's a hoodie, as if I'm not mistaken, as well, right? Yes, yeah, so there's a jacket and hoodie. So uh, th- these are actually two products that that John Barklow, my counterpart, and I were both working on. So I was updating the Celsius MIDI jacket. Um, and it was really designed for, uh, really focus on like the stationary whitetail hunts, right? Mm-hmm. So that piece in the jacket format 
is going to have 150 grams of insulation. It's a piece that's a full zip front, mm-hmm. so it's uh, really easy to take on and off. Uh, so it, you can adapt your insulation to moving if you need to take it on and off, which we typically do in those types of situations. Um, so, And then there's a hoodie, which is less grams of insulation, more in the 100-gram range. Mm-hmm. So what you're looking at, and that's a pullover design with like a half zip. Right. So I would say, depending on your end use, you can pick the right product. If you're looking for something that's got a little bit extra insulation, but still has some a lot of the benefits of that that mobile insulation, the jacket might be where you want to go. But if you're going to not be taking it off, uh, you know, from for more ranges, than, and and you're looking for that hood. Uh, that's why the hoodie is built in that different form. Right. And to your earlier point, you know, you know, for everyone out there listening, like as you're thinking about building your kit, you know, think about the number of hoods you have and what you might need to add if this is something, you know, that you want to add to your, add to your kit. So the thing that I was most stoked about, so my layering system for the top, typically nine times out of 10 is, you know, just my normal, uh, Sitka long sleeve base layer, uh, synthetic. Um, and then, I will use a um, fanatic hoodie over top of that. And then from there, it depends on what time of, se- what time of season it is. Sometimes I'll just rock the fanatic hoodie. If I'm earlier, you know, maybe say very early October, as it gets a little cooler, you know, I'll throw on just my um, Stratus vest over top of it. And then as the temps start to dip, if I need another layer, what I've historically used um, was the, I think it was the Celsius midi uh, jacket. And that, this is now what I'll use for for that and that's what i was most stoked about because i'm always i was kind of going back and forth between that and depending on how cold it was using a a kelvin light uh jacket as well because uh, i really like that i really like that puffy but this thing is just so small so sleek and bundles up into like literally nothing to stuff in your pack and it's so lightweight and the fact that i i do typically move a lot so the fact that this is kind of you know active insulation is just is, is brilliant. And so that this is actually going to become my new insulation layer for, um, for this season. And it's sometimes I'll literally just kind of throw my, you know, my uh, fanatic hoodie on and I'll run out and I'll hop into a tree. And a lot of times I'll just stuff this in my pack. And once I get into a tree, this will actually become my outer layer just while I'm, while I'm stationary. And so such a versatile piece, man. So I was just super stoked on it because it's, it's that piece that allows me to get through the entire season where I almost never wear a full jacket uh, as an outer layer, it's always a vest at most with this underneath of it. And that's why I was so stoked because the profile on this thing is just so thin that it's, it's literally nothing. It allows me to stay kind of bulk free while I'm in the tree and not change how I'm drawing and, and, and all those things that are critical when you're, when you're bow hunting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've gone as far as, you know, or super, super like those negative 30 temps that might go under my fanatic or, you know, in those other temps, this is going under my stratus. So right. it really allows you, I, I consider it almost a season extender yeah. to any piece in your line. So if you're wearing your base layers, it extends the season of those. Uh, if you're just wearing it uh, as a regular layer, uh, you know, that's that's how it extends those. Uh, you can throw it under your stratus or, or other outerwear windstopper pieces. And it's again going to add another 10 to 15 degrees. Uh, and so I, I just consider it your season extender basically for any piece that you have in your Sitka gear, uh, line. Right. Yeah. I love the way you kind of frame that where it extends the stuff that you're using. That's, and that's kind of the name of the game. And I think, you know, whenever people are putting their kits together, it's like, you just have to think about how the things kind of piece together. 
um, what temps you're going to be kind of hunting in. And to your point, I love the way you kind of said that. It's like, how do you extend the pieces that you're, that you're using? Cause if you get the right pieces, man, you can hunt in some really cold temperatures without having to have a lot of individual pieces of gear. Um, things that will pay, uh, play double duty and things of that nature. So, yeah, uh, as you can tell, I'm kind of in love <laughs> with this, with this piece, but uh, what, uh, what, uh, color I, so I have a, uh, I think it's pyrite. I think it's the color I have now. And I think I have like an actual elevated two one on the way. So what colors does it, is this all going to be available in? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much available in any pattern, uh, that we have any optifate pattern. Mm -hmm. So whether or not you're a waterfowl hunter, big game hunter, you'll be able to find the hoodie and the jacket and those pieces. And then there's some solids. So, uh, typically pyrite's the color that we see associated with the big game hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's going to be available in pyrite black and then, uh, lead, which is gray, mm -hmm. uh, and then mud, which is a brown color. So, mm -hmm. Those, those are, are a whole host of whether or not you're looking for more of a hunt solid color or you're looking for a pattern. Uh, th there's quite a bit to choose from. Awesome. Sweet, man. So is there anything that we, that we've left out or that we've, that we've missed that's, uh, that's new or anything that is, uh, coming soon that we should, that we should mention that I might not be aware of, or is that what we, is that what we're rocking with for, for this fall to this point? Yeah. I think uh, those are definitely what uh, the items that, that that you need to be looking for at retail. Awesome. So the the uh, the one question I wanted to save for you is a little bit of a is a little bit of a, a surprise question. I'm always I'm always curious. You and I have talked about gear so many times now, and I don't think I've ever asked you this. And I think it's one of those things that's uh, near and dear to especially you know whitetail hunters' hearts because um, we like our gear so much. So I'm always curious and I want to ask you, what is your, uh, the piece of gear in your kit that you cannot live without the piece that, you know, if you left it at home and you're in your truck driving to hunt that you would absolutely turn around and go pick it up that you can't hunt without it. What is that? What is that one piece? Mm, that is a tough question <laughs> since I have all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so this could be, so we'll, we'll do it two different ways. What is your favorite? What is the piece of gear? Uh, Sitka specific gear that you can't live without and then give me one piece of gear that is not your apparel kit that you can't live without yeah so I would say you know in the Sitka uh, piece you know the ambient that layering insulation I mean <laughs> I know we just talked about it but it literally is in my whether it's my tool bucket my tool belt my you know cargo box pack whatever it's in uh, that's always pretty much going to be as soon as the tempers start to chill mm -hmm. any bit all the way through the end of the season. That's, that's the one piece of apparel that I always, always going to carry in my pack. Right. Um, so that, that's, you know, just something that I always, always want to have. Right. And so then outside of pieces of, uh, of Sitka, what is the one other piece outside of, of, of Sitka gear that you have to have that you can't live without? So this could be saddle sticks, bow arrows calls whatever whatever it might be what's that one other piece that you have to have well uh i mean uh besides snacks in the stand obviously <laughs> uh i would definitely say uh, you know it, my rangefinder is something that i'm always using right um so you know i run with you know a loophole rangefinder and i just i use it as soon as i get up in the stand and i'm usually ranging uh as soon as i can get some light in the sky uh, especially if I have not hunted area in a while, um, just to get my fixed points so that I don't have to pick up deer later on. Like I try and 
try and grab a couple of points, even if it's too dark. I usually range where I can see the outline of something, then point it to the sky, and right. then get those those ranges, just so that I know if something is coming in, and and I'm not going to maybe have time to be able to get a good range. I, I you know I find that from a bow hunter standpoint is is the most important piece from an ethics uh and yeah. hunting trying to get a good kill situation yeah that's a that's a great answer because i don't know that a lot of i don't know that everyone anyone who i've ever asked this question to i don't know that rangefinder has come up um and as you were kind of saying i'm like yeah like that would be now i have some buddies who shoot a lot of 3d archery that they um that they're always and compete so they're always having to range uh without a rangefinder you know, and so they're good at kind of knowing what a what distances are, and so they may not be as uh, as tied to it. But I'm I'm certainly tied to it, and I would actually have to echo your your same sentiments about just my you know now this year it'll be the ambient piece, but just like in the past it was whatever that that whatever that puffy insulation layer was that that was the that was the must have because I can literally forget almost any other you know, a layering garment that I have. And as long as I had that, I knew I would at least be warm enough. <laughs> I could go hunt. Like even if I was in like a t-shirt, um, I always think boots, but I literally have left the house in my van sneakers before and hunted in my vans. And so that, <laughs> that was just, I got, I, I was all excited. I left work early one day to go hunt. This is like two years ago, ran out of the house, forgot my boots, got to where I was going to hunt. And I was like, man, I forgot my boots. And all I had on was like old school vans, like slip on skate shoes. And, uh, and I was planning just to hunt from the ground that night. And I was, it was funny. Cause I actually like after the hunt, I was like, man, I, maybe I should start wearing these more often. Cause I was so stinking quiet. Cause I could feel like every like stick or rock or acorn underneath my foot. Cause the soles are so thin. And then I ended up just being super quiet in the woods. And I was like, maybe I'm onto something. Maybe I should just start wearing vans to hunt. But, uh, you can definitely sneak in and, uh, it, it, it certainly makes a difference over when I'm wearing like a hard yeah. Beaver and full boot, you know, it's like you, you can't feel the ground. So you're just like, oh, pop the stick. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, exactly. but yeah, my footwear changes depending on the situation. That's the one thing I would, I thought boots when you asked that question, but I'm always adapting my footwear. You know, if I'm on an antelope hunt, I'm basically going to run those small, you know, sneakers, most likely, okay. you know, style footwear where I can feel the ground and they're mobile. You know, if I'm, big game hunting, I'm going to be wearing, you know, like a crispy style boot. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, if I'm, you know, whitetail hunting, depending on, it could be a regular hiking boot like that. It could be uh, a rubber knee high and it could also be a pack boot. Hmm. I made the mistake my first year of going to Canada in a pair of 1600 gram rubber boots. And I spent one whole sit with my head leaning against the tree, just waiting for the hunt to end because <laughs> I, I thought I had the right footwear and you know, and the guy I went up there kept telling me, uh, to have these, the pack style boots. And, uh, um, yeah, I definitely learned my lesson. So for cold weather hunts, I'm actually running very pack, pack style boot. Hmm. That's interesting. I, it's, I don't change mine up a whole lot. Like I use like a regular, you know, something that would be akin to a crispy. I, I, I usually am wearing Kenetrex a lot of the times what I'm, what I'm using, like the hiker style. I think they're the hard, yep. hard scrabbles with the hard sole. I just like a hard a hard sole, especially for hunting out of a saddle. If my feet are going to be on a ring of steps or on a, on the edge of a platform, I just don't want anything that's going to be able to dig into my foot. Um, but I have worn in the past, like almost like tennis shoe hiker style, like Solomon's like boots, you know what I mean? Like that are really kind of, you know, light. They just never, they always kind of fall apart on me. 
But no matter what temperature I'm hunting now, Canada minus 30, different story. But for me, even late season, like I just don't wear anything with insulation because my feet sweat and I actually can keep them warmer if I don't have any insulation and I just take a wool sock and I cut them in half, like, uh, uh, like just longer, like about, about the mid arch. And I take that wool sock and just pull over the tips of my boots. Like if I do that, like I can, I can last with uh, non-insulated boots all the way through, through the entire season. Yeah, that's a, and uh, everybody has their own method uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, for doing that. But yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a great way, a great approach because yeah, if you go in with, with sweaty feet and then you sit still, yeah. you're, you're pretty much toast. Yeah. You're miserable, but well, cool, man. We've been, we've been jamming for about an hour. Um, I appreciate you coming on and giving me the straight dope as far as you know, what's, uh, what's new with the, with the gear and kind of walking through all the pieces. I always say this every time I have you on, like you guys do such a great job of kind of anticipating what people are going to need and always pushing the envelope and like the, 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 the latest and greatest technologies and, and, uh, and thinking about the hunter first. So Always appreciate that. Always appreciate you coming on. Let people know before you get out of here where they can find out more information uh, about Sitka, the places they should visit to, to, to check this stuff out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I always say uh, if, if you have a retailer that that's near you that carries uh, Sitka gear, go in and, and talk. They're, they're always uh, going to be, uh, in the most case, you know, really educated on the product because they're really good retail partners. And then, uh, sickinggear.com, if you want to just dig in on the details of the product and count on that stuff, watch videos, uh, is, is a great place to go in and, and learn more. Yeah. And then as you hit their website, sign up for their mailing list. That way, as new things are coming out, you guys are the first to know. So awesome, Chris, brother. I appreciate you, man. Congrats on the uh, successful elk hunt and uh, good luck on getting your son back out after that muley. Hopefully he fills a tag and uh, keep me posted on how your, uh, your whitetail plans play out this year. I'll, uh, I'll send you some texts as, uh, as things are going along here on the East Coast. Absolutely. Can't wait to see it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.